Well, let me ask you, what were you doing in 1999? Some of you weren't even born. Some of you were just a glimmer of hope in your parents' eyes. Some of you may have been all into your Nintendo DS. Or maybe you were a teenager enamored by Dawson's Creek or fascinated by the Matrix. Or maybe you were listening to Lauren Hill on your Sony Walkman. Or maybe you were storing up for Y2K. In 1999, my wife and I lived in Los Angeles and we were expecting our first child. And we were going through Lamaze class. Everything seemed to be going incredibly well until the day he was born. You see, we had this sweet little maternity room and, and there was a TV and VCR. And since my wife was about to do all the work, I thought she should probably choose the movie. And so she chose Sleepless in Seattle. All was going according to plan. Tom Hanks was falling in love with Meg Ryan. And then all of a sudden, alarms started to go off. Nurses ran in, doctor ran in, trying to figure out what was happening to our little boy. Why was his heart rate dropping? They whisked my wife out of the room into another place for an emergency C-section. I made it into the room in time to see Caleb born into this world, but he was not crying. It appeared that he wasn't even breathing as a nurse seemed to be giving him CPR. I was relieved to finally hear a cry, but it was the faintest cry I'd ever heard from a baby. Something didn't seem to be right. They told us that it was probably just fluid on his lungs. They were going to take him to another hospital that had a neonatal intensive care unit. Everything should be fine. And so I stayed with my wife for a couple hours, making sure she was okay. Once I knew she had everything she needed, I drove over to the other hospital. And that's where I discovered that it wasn't just fluid on his lungs. He was in grave danger. The doctor explained that he had a heart issue that without surgery would mean he wouldn't survive. I have to tell you, getting in my car to drive back to the other hospital was one of the longest drives of my life. What could I possibly say to my wife, a new mom? How could I let her know that her son, she barely saw in the incubator on the way out to the other hospital, may not even survive? I have to tell you, with all honesty, I was incredibly angry in that moment. And I cried out to God. It was an angry prayer. God, how could you let this happen? Why would you do this? We've given everything to follow you. We've left our family and friends to serve you. And now this. I got to the hospital. I grabbed my wife's hand and I explained to her the situation. And she was unbelievably calm. And I realized it was probably because she was still so medicated. <laughs> but even still, we discovered that there was a possibility that if he could get a little bit bigger by age two months, that, that this is a, 
a procedure that he could easily survive from. But at two weeks, he was not doing well. And they said, he's going to need surgery tomorrow. I'll never forget how fragile that little boy looked with all the tubes coming in and out. We prayed for him and put him on this little metal tray that would be where he was to experience the surgery. I felt like what Abraham must have felt like in the Old Testament when he thought that he was going to have to sacrifice his son. And we just prayed that God might give us the chance to raise him. The hospital did their absolute best and the doctor came out and told us everything seemed to go really well. He survived the surgery. He looks to be on the mend. We were ecstatic. A couple weeks went by and he was still unable to eat. He was still being fed through a feeding tube. And so I asked the doctor, how do we, you know, move past this? Why isn't he eating? And he explained that if a baby doesn't eat when it's instinctive within the first few weeks of life, then they have to learn how to eat. I said, how do you teach an infant how to eat? And then he explained, well, you're going to need an occupational therapist who understands sensory integration. My jaw dropped. My wife had just graduated with a degree in occupational therapy with an emphasis on sensory integration. It was as if the fog we'd been in had cleared away. God was not punishing us. This little boy needed this mommy. Caleb is now 24 years old. And my wife has a lot more hair than I've ever had. <laughs> and my wife works as an occupational therapist, working with families going through very similar situations to us. But I can tell you in that season of our life, as hard and as difficult as it was, we found a level of comfort and experienced a level of peace in God's presence that we would have never felt otherwise. See, it was in the midst of that that we realized that God cared for us and he cared for our little one. Now, see, we all face challenges. We all have good days and bad days. We all have amazing days and tragic days. And this month, we're exploring various prayers from the Bible to, to have ready when we need them. Our hope is that you'll discover the transformative power of prayer, that it doesn't just come to you as a last resort, but it becomes your first priority. And if you missed any of the messages in this series, I want to encourage you to go back and, and make sure and listen to them or watch them through our podcast, the website, our YouTube channel. There's the prayer for screw-ups, the prayer for when you don't have words, the prayer for living, not dying. And as always, take advantage of digging deeper to really Take what you're hearing on Sundays and applying it to your life. But in this season of our Pray First initiative, as we begin a new year, our hope is that you experience the love of God in ways perhaps you've never before by making your spiritual growth a priority. And today we're talking about the prayer that came out of nowhere. It's a prayer that came from a place of pain. It's found in this really unusual place. 
First Chronicles chapter four. It's in the midst of a great deal of genealogies. Take a look at the image. We won't read through all of it, but you'll just see this prayer in the middle of all these names. The author was highlighting fathers and sons, and here was a man named Jabez who had no father. It was a moment when his character and his prayer was highlighted. See, the chronicler was inserting a narrative within his genealogy to highlight an important theme, and one of those themes is the power of prayer, to remind God's people that though sometimes he might seem absent, sometimes it might seem like he's not there, that we can find him when we seek him with all our heart. See, the prayer of Jabez is one of those important reminders. And Chronicles are two books in the Bible that we often miss. They're actually written near the end of the Old Testament, even though they're placed in a different spot in our Bibles. But it was being written to remind the people of Israel who had far surpassed their time as a powerful kingdom and actually had been divided by civil war only to have been exiled and returned but to a much less impressive place. And the writer was trying to remind them in the midst of the pain and the suffering to keep their hope alive, that there is a Messiah, the promised one who's still to come, that God is faithful to his promises. Now, if you've been in Christian circles over the last couple of decades, you might have some familiarity with this prayer of Jabez. There was a book, and maybe good or bad, I want to reintroduce this to you or introduce it to you for the first time. So what was this prayer? Listen to what he says. Jabez was more honorable than his brothers. His mother had named him Jabez, saying, I gave birth to him in pain. Jabez cried out to the God of Israel, oh, that you would bless me and enlarge my territory. Let your hand be with me and keep me from harm so that I will be free from pain. And God granted his request. See, things to note that will help us recapture and reclaim this prayer is that Jabez is fatherless in a genealogy listing fathers and sons. He was neither. Now, when it says he was more honorable than his brothers, it's referring to the other men of Judah, some who, in fact, forfeited their land and possessions because of the evil choices that they've made. And this is super important as a premise to Jabez's prayer. It speaks to his character. A Bible commentary explains something very important about this random man mentioned only once in the Bibles. It says this, Jabez means pain, and though we don't know the cause of his mother's pain, we know he's without a father, a profoundly painful situation in ancient Israel or anywhere else for that matter. But living at the time of the judges, a time renowned for its chaotic anarchy, Jabez's father may have been killed or his mother raped. Regardless, his plight stands in stark contrast to the father-son pattern found in 1 Chronicles 4. Much like we talked about last week, Jabez did not allow his experience of an earthly father to get in the way of his understanding of his heavenly father. And there are some important takeaways that can actually help us understand God and the relationship he's inviting us to have. First, we can come to God in prayer with our pain. I mean, think about this for a moment. Jabez's name meant 
pain. It could be the emotional or physical pain that his mother was experiencing. Could be the pain of being fatherless, which led to a shameful and harsh life in the ancient world. It's not good when your name is pain, unless you're global superstar T-Pain, because then all you do is win, no matter what. But think about it for a moment. Jabez's name meant pain. That's what, that means anytime someone said the word pain, he thought they were trying to get his attention. His name meant pain. It would be like you or me naming our child C-section or epidural or little preeclampsia. I mean, can you imagine? Come here, C-section, help your brother with the dishes. See, regardless of his name, Jabez did not want to be defined by his worst moment. Nor did he seem to believe that he needed to resign himself to that. How often do we simply resign ourselves to the narrative that says that this is all I'll ever be? Too often we stay stuck in our worst moments, letting others define us or even defining ourselves rather than letting the one who created us define us. His name may be pain, but he wanted to be known as blessed. He cries out to God in faith. His trust in Yahweh is deep because he knows the abundance that God offers, even when he has nothing. It says, Jabez called upon the name of the God of Israel. This is a major premise of his prayer. Along with the mention that he was an honorable person, we can see that he's appealing to the God who is in covenant with the people of Israel. And the name Israel encapsulates the very promises of God. The name means one who lets God prevail. See, not only did Jabez have an honorable character, he understood God's character. Let me just ask you, have you allowed yourself to be defined by the most traumatic moments in your life? Have you begun to consider that your life in God's hands has unlimited potential. See, one of the things we discover, number two, is that God desires to bless us. Not only can we come to him in the midst of our pain, but we can move beyond just survival. God desires to bless us. Now, part of why the prayer of Jabez is somewhat notorious is that some television preachers and perhaps some pastors have kind of ruined this concept. Almost, if you believe the right things, then you will get what you want from God. If you give enough money to that pastor on TV, then you can have an income double what it is now. And if you grew up in the Bible Belt, there's a a misunderstanding of God. If you're a good Christian, then you will have all the things that a good American would want. That's actually not what blessing really means. We have to take this blessing of Jabez in context. See, God desires to bless us and to see us prosper, both spiritually and physically. And notice in Psalm 1 how blessing is described says this, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the sea of scoffers. 
But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. And all that he does, he prospers. See, the natural result of a relationship with God, of following God in his ways, is blessing. But when we go against God, the natural consequences of doing things our own way actually leads to curse, to the opposite of blessing. See, those who delight in the Lord and follow his ways will be blessed and prosper, but this is talking a great deal about spiritual blessings, about peace and joy. And certainly, we can experience physical blessings such as health and abundance, The Bible is full of scriptures on blessings and favor. To be blessed by God means to receive his favor, his protection, his provision. It also means to experience his love and grace in our lives and to have a relationship with him. See, being blessed by God does not necessarily mean that we will be free from trials or hardships. It means he is with us in the midst of those difficult moments. See, the blessing is the presence of God that lavishes his love his forgiveness, his peace, his joy. It's in a relationship with God that we discover a new identity, a new name. See, the prize of prayer is not health and wealth, but God himself. This isn't to say that God does not take care of us or bless us, but those things alone are not proof positive of a life close to God. When God does bless us in this way, it's always so that we can be a help and blessing to others. Remember, the Israelites point to Abraham as their spiritual father, and to Abraham, God made this promise in Genesis 12. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. We're not designed to hold a blessing hostage. We're designed to experience that blessing and let that blessing flow through us to the world around us. It's okay to ask God for blessing, but we need to constantly check our heart and ask, why? Is this for my gain alone or is it so that I might be a blessing to others, that others might see God's love through me? Impliedness is learning to trust God even when we ask for something and it does not come to pass. Implied in this is a level of gratitude for all the ways that God has already blessed us. The scriptures tell us every good gift we have in life is a gift from God. But number three, what we discover from this passage is that we can pray for influence. Jabez asked God to enlarge his territory. We can ask God to expand our influence, not for selfish gain, but to grow his kingdom so that others might experience his goodness through us. There's a beautiful prayer by the church planter, Paul, who as a pastor to many people who were new to faith, writes these words as a prayer for them and for us. He says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. 
Paul is, is saying that I pray that God might open your eyes to a bigger vision than what you currently have. God wants to move you out of survival mode and wants you to dream with him again about the future. God will entrust to us more when we show that we are faithful with what we currently have. I discovered this in a dramatic way when I was in college. I had an opportunity to meet a man named Henry Blackaby, the author of Experiencing God. And several of my friends had had a chance to meet him before I did. And many of them were just going on and on about what a remarkable experience it was. In fact, one of the girls was crying when she told me it was like talking to an angel. So you can imagine how excited I was to meet Henry Blackaby the next day. And I came up with this question I could not wait to ask him. And so finally, when the opportunity came, I approached him and I asked him, I'm 19 years old and I really want to make a difference in the world. What advice do you have for me? I'll never forget his response. He looked at me and he said, if you are faithful in the little things, God will give you big things. Man, I was so excited. I ran back to my apartment to tell my buddy Craig, we'd been best friends since seventh grade. Now we were roommates together in college. And I said, you won't believe this. Henry Blackaby, the author of Experiencing God, had a special message from God to me. I said, he promised me that if I'm faithful in the little things, that God would give me big things. And Craig started to laugh. <laughs> I didn't expect that. He said, Eric, that's a Bible verse. Jesus said that to everyone. Kind of ruined my moment there. <laughs> I was a little embarrassed at first, but then I actually felt a bit convicted. See, I'd been a, a youth pastor. I was paid $70 a week to invest in a handful of kids. And after several months of really not trying at all, there was now just a kid. I wasn't being faithful as a youth pastor in that little church. I was no longer a pastor of a youth group. I literally was a pastor of a youth. And I began to realize that why would God entrust more to me if I'm not being faithful with what he's entrusted with me now? And so I began to be more diligent about praying for the kids that had been there, the one that was still coming and investing in the time that I had with this teenager. And it turned into more and more started to come. I began to be faithful in the little things that were right in front of me. And you know, at the end of that time, I was invited to come and help start a youth group in Seattle as part of a church plant. An opportunity I'm convinced would have never happened if I had not turned my way around. I wonder what areas of your life right now seem to be beneath you? that God has entrusted to you, that you might be faithful in this moment so that he can give more to you? In what areas have you stopped making the right decisions no matter how small they may be? See, what we discover in Jabez is not only can we pray from a place of pain, not only can we ask for blessing, not only can we ask for more influence, but we can also ask for God's protection. Jabez said, keep me from harm. 
Now, if you grew up going to church, you may have heard people pray phrases that don't make sense in real life. Christian comedian Tim Hawkins has this great bit about the phrase, praying for a hedge of protection. Any of you heard this phrase before? A hedge of protection. He points out, why don't they pray for a cement wall of protection? Why just shrubbery? That doesn't seem to make sense. He points out, it's like we think the devil's kryptonite is landscaping. See, whenever we're uncertain about anything in the scriptures, we need to start with Jesus. What does Jesus say about protection? Well, he teaches us in the Lord's Prayer, these words, Matthew 6, we are to pray and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. See, we can ask God for victory in the middle of the attacks and the temptations, but we can also ask him to thwart the plans of the enemy. See, there are evil spiritual forces that are opposed to you, that want to break up your marriage, that want to destroy your relationships, to attack your peace and your joy. Author of the book, Pray First, Chris Hodges says it this way, the devil wants you to focus on your pain to focus on escaping it, comforting yourself from it, and wallowing in it as a victim. But when you focus on what God wants, then you can trust that your pain will no longer be the center of your life. So you and I are invited to ask for blessing that we might bless others, to ask for more influence so that we might advance God's kingdom. And when those things start to happen, we're gonna need God's protection. It's not learning how to speak to the darkness. It's learning how to run to the light in Jesus. And number five, our prayers find significance only in his presence. See, we're not meant to see this prayer as a magical mantra to get God to do what we want. Rather, this prayer demonstrates that God hears our prayers when we seek after him. It's a reminder to us not to give up praying during difficult circumstances. See, sometimes when bad things happen, people see that as a reason not to trust God, when in reality, that's when they need to run to God the most. It's a call away from selfishness or self-sufficiency to dependence on God. See, God wants us to ask to come to him with our needs, to come to him with our concerns, and that trust that we would trust him with whatever the answer might be. Jabez prayed, let your hand be with me. See, God's presence in your life as you walk with him and trust him, no matter the results, will bring a humility that ultimately he is in control. He gives and takes away. His presence will allow us to trust his heart even when we don't understand what's happening all around us. So we're one month into 2024. How are you doing so far? Have you been able to be faithful to the little things you put on your list of goals? If you've dropped the ball or found yourself slipping, you can start afresh. Ask God for forgiveness. Ask him to help you be more faithful. Or maybe you don't have any goals, but have you considered that God might want you to dream with him about the future that he wants for you? What if God has more for you than what 
you could have ever asked for or imagined? What if God wants to so bless you, increase your influence so that you could bring more of the light that Jesus brings to the places that you have influence? How has he already blessed you? How are you passing on that blessing to others? See, we're invited into something supernatural. The creator of the universe created you on purpose and with a purpose. His love for you is real. There's another, one of my favorite passages, also in Ephesians, when Paul prays this. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power, that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. See, God can do immeasurably more than what we ask or imagine. His power is already at work within us and we can experience his presence, his power, his peace right now. We can experience a glimpse of heaven on earth and bring heaven wherever we go, in our homes, in our neighborhoods, where we work. God wants to bless you so you can bless others, to give you more influence so that you can use that influence to advance his kingdom. He wants to guide you to experience more of his love, his presence, his wisdom. He wants to protect you because this world is broken and there is evil opposing us. We're actually gonna sing a song that was really meaningful to me when I was first following Jesus. And as I was reading the lyrics this week, it reminded me of Mike Papali. He was our care pastor at Gateway South Austin. He died of cancer this last summer at the age of 54. In the midst of the pain and suffering that he was experiencing, in the midst of saying goodbye to his wife and his kids, three of whom were teenagers, I'll never forget one of the last things he told me. Hadn't been able to eat, had very little energy, and he told me he had never felt God more closely than he did in that moment. As if the atmosphere between heaven and earth was thinner for Mike. Earlier in his illness, in his last message that he shared, he had talked about that he'd been asking God to take him out of the pit, but what he experienced was God coming into the pit to be with him. See, God loves you so much that he sent his son into this broken and messed up world for you and me. And Jesus willingly gave his life, dying on the cross, that we might experience forgiveness on that cross represented the evil of humanity, including the evil choices that we've made. But he offers us new life. All we must do is surrender our hearts to him. And if you've never done that, I wanna encourage you. It's a great time to start a new relationship with God. All it requires is just saying, God, forgive me. I don't wanna go my own way. I wanna follow after you. I need what Jesus did on the cross to count for me. Guide me, lead me. If that's where your heart is right now. If that's a prayer that you wanna pray right now, we wanna help you in your journey. Next week is baptism, a beautiful way to celebrate what God does in our heart, a new life. Just let us know if that's where you're at today, either through the connect card or with the prayer team that will be up here at the front. 
We'd love to celebrate baptism with you next week. Or maybe you're here and you just need to recalibrate your relationship with God. Maybe restart your relationship with God. You know, for you, your next step is to make spiritual growth a priority. And that includes joining a group. You cannot become the person God's created you to be without his community cheering you on along the way. Without serving others with others. And so I want you to consider the next step that God has for you today. I believe he has a next step for each and every one of us. I want you to consider that as we listen to this.